Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. This is me, Steffi Cohen. Simon Chang. And today we have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Ryan Orr. Ryan Orr is a strength and conditioning coach for the New York Mets. Before that, he worked for the LA Angels. He also happens to dabble in powerlifting himself. His first meet was this past March, where he totaled 670 kilos and went 10 for 10. We're really excited to sit down with him and learn more about his strength conditioning philosophy when working with athletes at the highest level. So without further ado, sit down, relax, enjoy another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. Quick shout out to our sponsor, LMNT. Uh, it's a great tasting electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. LMNT is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for folks following a keto low-carb, or paleo diet. LMNT contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium, with, no, with none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. If you want to check these guys out, this is something that Stephanie and I use all the time. Uh, check them out at drinklmnt.com hybrid. This podcast episode is also brought to you by Beam. Beam is committed to producing high-quality, natural, innovative wellness products trusted by some of the world's top professional athletes. Beam creates products to support four main categories, balance, performance, recovery, and sleep. These products are combined of both CBD and non-CBD ingredients. By tapping into how we function biologically, CBD can work to regulate pain, mood, appetite, anxiety, and inflammation. As a Hybrid Unlimited listener, you get 15% off your order with code HYBRID in all caps. So check them out. That's BEAM and use code HYBRID in all caps for 15% off. So what are you doing here in Miami? Uh, my girlfriend lives here, so I'm coming down here and just visiting her. Do you come here often? Uh, this is the first time since April I've been down here, oh, well, which nice. uh, that kind of involves like the season, just being in New York for that and um, about a month into our off season and... Yeah, decided it was time to come down. We'll talk about the New York Mets in a second, but how long have you guys been dating? Uh, just a couple months. Like, it's still, like, pretty new, but All right, all fun. right. Very exciting. <laughs> nice. That's the best time, you know, the first few months of our relationship where everything's heart and hearts and rainbows and it's everything's awesome, and then... Oof. No, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, that's awesome. So... You are a strength and conditioning coach for the New York Mets. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm one of the minor league strength and conditioning coaches for them. Uh, I'm at our high A affiliate in Brooklyn. How did you land that? Uh, it's, it's a blast. I've been doing this. This was my first year with the Mets, um, third year in baseball altogether. So. What, um, I'm curious about your career trajectory. What did mm -hmm. you go to school for? What was your job before that? Mm -hmm. How did you get involved with the New York Mets? Yeah, so uh, I... Went to college um, for exercise science. Uh, went to a small NAI school where I played baseball for uh, the three years that I was on campus. And then graduated there and uh, went to grad school for the exact same thing, just to kind of further the, the education a little bit more. Went to the University of Arkansas. Uh, got my master's in exercise science there. Um, and then around that time, uh, I had to do an internship for my undergrad program. Went to a facility in Dallas called Michael Johnson Performance. Interned down there. And then uh, from there left and went to University of Arkansas where I uh, served kind of multiple roles, ended up being like an assistant um, strength coach for the men's basketball team while I was there, served for the uh, served as the interim head strength coach for about two months. 
um, in that role. I also uh, interned with the Kansas City Royals AA affiliate while I was there. And then from there, I took a job with the Los Angeles Angels in November of 2018. That's awesome. Why did you do so many internships? Um, it was just kind of a, a process of it, like um, kind of getting my foot in the door with the Michael Johnson. Uh, and then from there, when I started looking at grad schools, I literally every grad school I got into, I wrote every um, every strength coach that I could find an email for an email and just offered myself up as free help. I had no experience. I had just played. So um, kind of just trying to further the education, get as big of a of a range of experiences I could um, before kind of deciding what area of strength and conditioning I want to go into. And I actually only got one response back, and that was from uh, the men's basketball strength coach with, with Arkansas. Wow, eh? Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand just how much work it takes to get to a position like that. You yeah. Know? Mm -hmm. It's like people love saying that, I don't know, that it came easy for you. Or, they or got they got lucky. Or that they got lucky, yeah, but they don't see all of the back-end work that you had to do to get there. Yeah. What, um, what motivated you to get a master's? Uh, I think it was just a thing where I, I kind of understood that I wasn't necessarily ready to go into a full-time job yet. Um, there was still like, I went to a small school and my, my head baseball coach actually taught me 27 hours in my undergrad program. So like when you're taking that in season, you're missing class probably tw two out of three times a week. Um, so it was just one of the things where I wanted something that was consistent. I would be in class every time that I had class. Uh, and it would just kind of gave me a little bit more of a scientific background. Um, and I could still get the uh, application from the internships that I was doing. Do you feel like, uh, you know, because I, I have, a, I guess, a different experience with grad school. But do you feel like furthering your education was something that better prepared you for the job that you have today in terms of, like, practical information? Or was it more like fluff? It was more, it was much more geared towards um, being in a lab setting mm -hmm. and being like a researcher, but I think that kind of at least that gave me the opportunity to learn how to like take in and disseminate like uh, research material and kind of decide like, okay, this is bullshit. This is like something that's actually good. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that. I feel like one of the biggest benefits of being a professional student, you know, getting a master's or a doctorate or mm -hmm. a PhD, whatever it is, is that it really teaches you how to think critically and how to evaluate data and how to uh, understand research papers, you know, yeah. and, and Besides that is the work ethic that it gives you. It's such a rigorous process. Mm -hmm. You have to be on top of so many classes and, and deadlines and essays and practicals that it teaches, it teaches you, it forces you to be disciplined and organized and follow instructions really, really well. Yeah. And Probably. like you said, like thinking critically, like that is the job, right? Like if you can't think critically, you're going to fall flat on your face in this, in this profession. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Especially with baseball, like we were just talking about, there's so many things, different things that are thrown at you of in-season, off-season, these types of players, this structure, the way this player moves. A pitcher, I'm sure, is just completely different. I wouldn't even know a thing about it. Um, and then for me, it's there's so many different leagues in baseball. Um, and understanding that and like how those seasons work and baseball, what in the MLB they play hundred and something games yeah 162 and uh in the minor leagues this season everybody played 120 so we're still playing six days at a time having mondays off uh, so, so there's six, so many variables yeah thrown at you yeah and it's it's funny because it's a quote from the movie moneyball but billy bean says adapt or die and that's the entire game yeah. of baseball no matter what position you're in mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i love that 
Yeah, I love that. Um, Joe Sullivan likes that as well. That's his company name. I have heard him say that. <laughs> um, in terms of, so yeah, you get your master's degree. Obviously, like that is a, I think it's an important differentiating factor for how you got a job like that because being or working with a with a professional team is a job that's reserved for like mm -hmm. the very best. Besides your master's degree, do you feel like there's anything else to that really differentiates you from other coaches? I think it's just the, like, I, I pursue knowledge constantly. And so um, whenever I'm constantly trying to learn, I'm also constantly trying to apply. So I don't learn for the sake of learning. I learn to apply to my athletes because everything that I do is like, I want to, I want to produce more big leaguers. Like, so I want to take more guys that shouldn't make the big leagues and develop as many of them to play for the New York Mets as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And so like having that goal in mind really just motivates me to uh, learn and really like be able to like sift through the bullshit and say, okay, this is actually what matters and this is how I can apply it. So to piggy, piggy off of that answer, what is your training philosophy when it comes to strength and conditioning specifically for baseball? Yeah, I think, I think it's more of a, uh, a principle thing as opposed to a philosophy thing um, to where like everything is dictated by performance. So for me, like it doesn't matter if I can get a guy to go from a 365 squat to a 405 squat. It's going to be, can I get this guy to go from hitting the ball an average of 75 miles an hour to 85 miles an hour off the bat mm -hmm. and that's what i'm really chasing so like it's funny like strength and conditioning is kind of adopting the the term of athletic performance well then there's really two pillars of that there's athleticism and then there's performance and performance is going to dictate everything that you need to know what are the differences the differences is that like a lot of times in baseball it's funny that you ask that like it's considered that like first basemen don't necessarily have to be athletes pitchers aren't athletes that's always like the stigma of it but it's as you develop these more athletic qualities about them, they're going to perform better. So if you treat them like, oh, he's just a pitcher, he doesn't need to be athletic. It's like, no, he needs to be able to jump high. He needs to be able to move well. He needs to be able to run. Like all these other qualities that why just is that? Why? Yeah. Just because, like, if a guy knows how to move his body better, like all of a sudden that that ball down the third base line that he's having to make a play at first on, he's not going to be at a risk of injury. He's going to be able to stay on the field a little bit longer. Like. He's going to be able to perform well and move better through that throw. And uh, it's going to help him like just be able to organize his body a little bit better on the field, whether that's on the mound or making a play in the field. Dude, what you just said is so powerful. And, and I'm so happy that you think like that because yeah, I share the same, I like that. the same mentality. When I was doing powerlifting, obviously, you know that it's a highly, highly specific yeah. sport, right? You're just being tested on how strong you are in yeah. three lifts, right? And I started working with Manning from Legacy Fit. I don't know, Manning Summer from Legacy Fit. Mm. He's an ex-pro NFL player. Okay. Uh, and he's a strength and conditioning coach. And I worked with him briefly, maybe for like a month or six weeks. And what he said one time, he told me, he's like, I might not be able to make you a better powerlifter, but I'll be able to make you a better athlete. Mm -hmm. And that in turn will make you a better powerlifter. Mm -hmm. And I caught a lot of steam like during that period of my career because I was doing... I was running, I was jumping, I was carrying stuff fast, I was doing long cardio sessions, and people were very confused as to what the point of any of that was because especially like iron sports athletes get so caught on that wheel of specificity, mm -hmm. so caught up in the wheel of weightlifters. Think about that. All they do is snatch, clean, and jerk. In the off season, what do they do? Off season, the week after, uh, after um, meet, 
They they'll do out. like they max out, and then they do a strength <laughs> phase that's that's maybe ten weeks long or ten days long, and it's two sets of ten back squat, and that's their hypertrophy. Or that's so funny, dude. Conditioning. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. They get short rests, high reps, with a with a barbell clean and jerks. If you're gonna do a conditioning, do another movement at exactly. least. Exactly. You don't um, have to always stay mimicking the movements that you're doing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. How how do you deal with or what are your thoughts on on kind of transferability or carryover? I hate those words, really. Because yeah. I think that a lot of people, in what you see on Instagram, for example, from even people who coach baseball, they get so intricate with the exercises that they prescribe, trying mm -hmm. to mimic the exact movement of, say, for example, a pitcher. Like they put a band and they just like start, I don't know. Yeah, but they, they just crank the shit out of their shoulders on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. But they don't get what you just said, mm -hmm. that, you know, if you jump higher if you get stronger if you get your overhead press uh, more explosive and better that in turn is going to translate i hate that word but translate <laughs> into you being better at sport yeah and i think it's a thing of you don't want to replicate the movements you want to be able to break them down i think it's from my position that's very important that i can identify like mechanics behind a pitch mechanics mechanics behind a swing mm -hmm. and be able to think okay what what exercises does this look like like mm -hmm. uh, Killian Hamilton, he talks about it all the time. Like he just sees like shapes, especially when it comes to baseball. He and I have talked about that. Um, but like being able to see shapes really is something. Like you see a guy on the mound and you go, oh, that looks like a split squat. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, like that's how you find the transfer. It's not creating some elaborate exercise that you think is going to help because it does this and it looks exactly like the movement. Mm -hmm. It's being able to break it down and say, okay, like sim like in a simplistic not over simplistic uh but still like able to simplify it um and say this is what this looks like mm -hmm. this is a similar shape this is how i should train the mm -hmm. shoulder does this the hip does this mm -hmm. yeah i like that what um so going back to the, the the first example that you gave me of you wanting to say for example make a pitcher throw from 75 to 85 miles mm -hmm. per hour what would his training look like so if a guy is trying to get to 85, he's probably getting released. But um, like taking a guy from <laughs> I don't know like, anything about baseball, yeah, no, so. no, no. Um, taking a guy from is that like slow? A, yeah, that's super slow. Yeah, okay. the the game's all about velocity, and you've got like um, watching the Dodgers game last night. A guy named uh, Bruiser Gratterall, a reliever for the Dodgers, he's throwing 103, and that's just absolutely stupid. Um, I think the average fastball in Major League Baseball right now is like 93.8 miles an hour, and that's average. Wow. Um, so if I can take a guy that's throwing 92 and taking the 94, like I'm, I'm really happy, um, taking a guy from 94 to 98, that's incredible. So from my side of things, the guy that's sitting at 92, he's going to have a little bit more of a, of a general, I, I hate that word, but, um, more of a general like strength, uh, or maybe like a general like power, uh, adaptation that I'm looking to gain. But the guy that's going from 94 to 98, that guy's going to need a lot more of like coordinative abilities and more wow. more of that specific movement um like i i had a post on instagram the other day that uh simon and i were talking about it like you have externally rotation dominant pitchers internally rotation dominant pitchers and kind of being able to to set up exercises to bias what they're actually going to do on the mound that's where that's going to be applicable because mm -hmm. those guys that are trying to throw 98 miles an hour are kind of starting to push the limits of like what their bodies are able to do. How, what does it mean to be internally or externally rotated uh, bias? So just the way that the lower half uh, works because a key, a key factor is internal rotation and it's essentially like how much do you rotate 
over and, or I'll say rotate into and out of that back leg. Okay. So a lot more externally rotated guys are going to go straight up and then go down and essentially like delay that internal rotation that happens on that back hip uh, as long as they possibly can. Whereas the internally rotated guys are going to get into that really quick. They're going to sit oh, into there. So we're their... talking about the hips. We're yeah, not yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, yeah. okay. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Is one better than the other? I don't think so. I think it's uh, I think it's very dependent on the pit, on the uh, the athlete and kind of their their uh, ranges of motion that they can get into comfortably and kind of like their neurological patterns. Like you don't want to necessarily say that this is the one way to throw. Um, you want to kind of let guys kind of find it themselves. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, I'm just interested if we. I think we talked a little bit about this as well. Is um, seeing pictures of not necessarily what's better, but what are the best pitchers tend to do. Mm -hmm. And I think. Just from looking and, and understanding the lens of what you're looking at, I've seen more pitchers towards internal rotation, and then obviously bi biasing that with that within the weight room with um, contralateral loads or mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm just interested if you've seen that of like better pitchers biased towards internal external or it's just kind of up in the air. I would say the thing that really I've depends. seen is that the best pitchers know how to get the most out of their bodies. Mm -hmm. not necessarily being externally or internally rotated yeah. but like they just know how their body moves and exactly how to like strategize best to go mm -hmm. down a mound and throw a ball 100 miles an hour yeah, is there a awesome. lot of variation in in technique because absolutely there's a lot yeah. yeah that's so interesting to me because i can think of probably five different arm slots that guys might throw out of and that's just talking upper body that's not even getting into the lower half wow yeah. that's interesting right but i'm sure i mean obviously It'd be like anything like powerlifting or like boxing that you learn kind of the fundamentals, mm -hmm. the fundamental principles mm -hmm. of throwing and just the rules. And then your body, I guess, based on its proportions and individual strengths, then kind of like starts making, giving it its own kind of style. Right? Yeah. And kind of like what you asked about, is, a, is one better? Like for me personally, I can say like I started pitching when I was seven years old. I ended when I was 21, and if someone would have taken me when I was 18 and said, hey, your back hip does this, it should be doing this instead, like that would have been impossible for me to change. Wow, mm -hmm. you're a pitcher. I was, yeah, yeah. Let me see your, your external rotation. My external rotation, I'm a righty, so I can get there now. Let me see that one. Wow. So this and, is, and this is post-surgical uh, bilateral labrum tears, too. Okay, okay. So um, my, my last year of college, so I was over the top, normal, um, my entire life, my last year of college, I was essentially limping to the finish line, so I dropped down sidearm and uh, finished that way. Damn. So, okay, so say the person that you're trying to get from 94 to 98, mm -hmm. you said you're going to do a lot more pitching, kind mm -hmm. of like for that neural adaptation. Mm -hmm. For that, at that point, do you even look at technique? Or at that point, is it something that's already kind of set in stone? You have to work with other variables. Luckily, I don't have to look at the technique. Like that's more of the pitching coach's specificity. Okay. So that's kind of where I'm going to draw the line. But uh, that's where I'm going to give that that pitcher like as much of a um, as little of a stimulus as necessarily possible. So that way they have as much neural of a like neural bandwidth to be able to take into the mound and be able to apply that. Wow, that's fascinating. What about the person that goes from 75 to 85? Do we work on technique then? Um, <laughs> I think that guy needs to work on strength. He needs, that, that's where it's going to be prioritized that his neural bank account is more in the weight room and more on the just overall physical de developmental side than necessarily on the field. 
Oh, yeah, so strength for that 75 mm -hmm. to 85. So let's bridge the gap between between strength and the sport. Mm -hmm. So you're a power lifter yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You just yeah. you competed recently? I competed back in March. Okay. Well, yeah. where, what are your best numbers? Uh, so that was my first one. I think that you're really going to test my knowledge. Let me let me pull you it You don't up. remember what you lifted? No, I don't. Like, that's pathetic. Look, so I got to um, I got to April, started lifting in spring training. Um, one week in, so this is probably three weeks into my, my powerlifting offseason, uh, got a hernia, an uh, epigastric hernia. Cool. Um, fell Good off my times. longboard about 10 days later and broke my right wrist. Right. And then uh, Someone? sprained my ankle before the end of spring training. And Someone cast a spell on you or something. Yeah, it was, it was rough. I think it was something like, I can't do the math in kilos, so the That's powerlifting were. Tell me, pounds or kilos, what uh, do you remember? 5.34 uh, squat. Um, 369 bench and 573 deadlift. Okay, okay, decent, decent. At 227. Decent. So, that's good. okay, so that it's it's rare to find a strength conditioning coach. That's strong. That's strong. <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> gonna. What, walk, what do you, you kind of see within that atmosphere? Are like a lot of coaches strong, or is it tending towards just very evidence based? Probably doesn't work out. More of this is what the research says. Like, I'm just so interested in how that looks because we've seen it from, say, boxing and powerlifting. Like, there's just the evidence is behind. And then in some sports, it's just very high evidence base. There's not a lot of experience behind it. I'm just really curious. Yeah. Um, from from the coaching side, like, it's a lot of guys that like to lift, but not, not necessarily, like, they're not going to go to the extremes of, like, powerlifting or bodybuilding yeah. or something like that. Um, a lot of them, like, like to stay athletic. So, mm. um, like, for me... In my offseason, I like to stay athletic because I'm usually playing catch with some of the guys on the field. Um, and if I try to do like heavy bench or like just be like full go powerlifting, then my shoulder's gonna be killing me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, how, so, how do you integrate strength movement, squat, bench, deadlift into <laughs> uh, the preparation for a baseball player? Yes, yeah, so I think like it's a thing where I'm not necessarily married to exercises i think like if a guy has issues squatting and i was telling simon like pro baseball is a very very weird realm where i have uh from spring training in march april until the end of the season in september with the guys and then they go they live wherever they all go back home they're all either training with us remotely or they're uh training with somebody else so that's not necessarily to me the best time for me to be trying to teach someone to squat whenever they also need to be able to play six games in a row. Um, so if a guy's not a good squatter, I'm not going to squat him. Like that guy's probably going to split squat. That guy's going to trap bar deadlift a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and so just being able to identify that, like I think goes a long way, but also being able to kind of prescribe percentages, whether it's an RPE base, whether it's a RIR or a percentage base, like I think that that goes a long way. And Which I think one do you gravitate towards? Um, I think it's easier for athletes to grasp uh, RPE. So when I train, I, I run a, a remote training program or a remote training business as well. Uh, and What's I train uh, Catalyst Performance. Okay. Um, and I train powerlifters primarily with that. And I use an RIR scale with them. But with athletes, it's easier for me to say like, hey, that's a, that should be an 8 out of 10. That should be a 9 out of 10. Yeah. Um, because I, I just feel like where, they're, where they are with their lifting career is typically they don't understand like, Oh yeah, I could have had two more reps with that set. Mm -hmm. um, so I use an RPE scale with them. I think uh, velocity-based training goes a long way, and that's as simple as having like a number to hit 
and say, hey, like, that's moving way too fast. If you want to get strong, you need to be able to grind that out a little bit more. Like, that should be more of a, a 0.5 as opposed to a 0.8. Do you use a, a speedometer or whatever? Uh, so, in, in previous roles, I've used a Gemaware. Okay. So, it's just a Tendo unit, essentially. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So, so, all right. And you use velocity-based training for your baseball players. I, I love it. I think it, it provides value. Even if it's not necessarily for percentages, it can be a monitor, monitoring tool very easily. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, I don't know much about velocity-based training. Mm-hmm. Tell me like the similar, gist about it. I feel like it's similar to RPE, but it's giving you an actual, rather than subjective, it gives you more objective measures as well. Yeah, I guess. But you would have to establish a, a baseline. That's what I was thinking right yeah. now because... <laughs> I'm naturally a slow lifter, mm-hmm. but yeah, as long as I have the average of my lifts at a certain percentage and then can look at it yeah. that way. And I think like power lifters, like that would be really hard to, really hard to like put into play because like so many times it is a slow lift. So like if you're trying to hit a point four, and like I'm, if I tried to do that, I would easily hit a point three. I know I've done it. Mm-hmm. Um, but with athletes, it's, it's a little bit easier. Like I'm not, I'm not necessarily worried about how much loads on a bar as long as they're progressing. Yeah. So if a guy's going from, uh, let's say, 225 on a split squat for a 0.5 and he starts moving it at a 0.55, he's then getting stronger because he's mm-hmm. moving it faster. Or if he can go 225 one week at 0.5 and then throw a 10 on each side and go 245 and then he's moving it at 0.5, like he's also getting stronger. So I think that that's just kind of the way that I like to use it mm-hmm. um, and be able to kind of have objective feedback for those guys to hit because they can sit there and say, oh, like my body's feeling it. And it's like, yeah, I don't even play and my body feels it come, <laughs> come August. Yeah. Uh, it's a long season. We, we work six days at a time. We play 120 games. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, like they're feeling it and it kind of gives us this feedback of like, look, your body obviously feels good because you were doing like 20 more pounds than you were a week ago and you're moving at the exact same. Mm. Yeah, yeah that that's really what that's, helpful. That's what, when I was doing powerlifting, I always used to, to say that you can't trust your feelings. Mm-hmm. You can't trust you can't trust how it felt. Yeah. You know? And you know, like going into a meet, you kind of feel like shit. Absolute garbage. Yeah, a hundred percent. But yeah, that would happen to I never did velocity based training, but I would obviously film my top sets. Yeah. And sometimes during the top set, I felt like it moved so slow that I grinded, that I lost my positions. Then I looked at the video and it was super fast and smooth. Yeah. And I could go I could actually lift more. So yeah, I mean Fuck your feelings, right? Yeah. Yeah, it can just be hard. It's always so many variables, and I found video assessment helpful as well. Some days I'll feel completely off. Just the other day I felt off, and then I looked at my eyes. Quick shout out to our sponsor, LMNT. Uh, It's a great tasting electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. LMNT is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for folks following a keto low-carb, or paleo diet. LMNT contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium, with no, with none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. If you want to check these guys out, this is something that Stephanie and I use all the time. Uh, check them out at drinklmnt.com hybrid. This podcast episode is also brought to you by Beam. Beam is committed to producing high-quality, natural, innovative wellness products trusted by some of the world's top professional athletes. Beam creates products to support four main categories, balance, performance, recovery, and sleep. 
These products are combined of both CBD and non-CBD ingredients. By tapping into how we function biologically, CBD can work to regulate pain, mood, appetite, anxiety, and inflammation. As a Hybrid Unlimited listener, you get 15% off your order with code HYBRID in all caps. So check them out. That's BEAM and use code HYBRID in all caps for 15% off. They look good. Uh, what's the, um, the state of the industry in terms of their, I guess, acceptance of using the big three in training? Like, do you, Did you experience any sort of resistance from other coaches that thought that doing those movements quote-unquote heavy wasn't necessary or, or could be detrimental? Is there that? that uh... I think that's kind of going away at this point. Um, for a long time, though, like for a long time, lifting and baseball was not a thing. Mm. Like there's been, I've heard horror stories of people that have been in baseball much longer than I have that like the, the hitting coach would come in and say, hey, I need this guy in the cage. It's like he wasn't scheduled for another 20 minutes. He's got two exercises left. Can he just do it? It's like, no, this takes priority. And they'll just, they would just yank guys out or they would just criticize guys for squatting, benching, deadlifting, whatever, especially going heavy. Like that's at all. That's with 135 on the bar. Professional athletes need more than that. Like, yeah. yeah. So I think that that's kind of going away and it's kind of, there's been this new, um, this new understanding that like the weight room does have a place. Like it does need a priority that just overall athletic development is very important if you want to get the most out of your draft picks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for your, you, for the pro athletes that are in season, how often are they lifting? Uh, usually two to three times a week, kind of depending on frequency of playing, um, frequency of throwing, positional needs, and just kind of like where that guy is athletically and, the, and physically. Mm-hmm. Do you also do their conditioning? Yes. Okay. And how often do they do conditioning? Um, about one to two times a week, and then there'll be a there'll be a day where like if a if a relief pitcher, um, if he's like if he hasn't thrown in three days and it's like you're definitely throwing tonight, you're gonna have the day off. Like just take it. We'll get everything tomorrow. Wow, interesting. What um I mean for conditioning for baseball players, they probably don't need much. They yeah, like it's, it's a endurance. super small stimulus, especially in season. Yeah, I bet that. I mean, you probably sprint. Mm-hmm. That's what you do from yeah. base to base. Yeah. I guess the longest you'll run is if you hit a home run. That's a jog, though. That's like yeah, it's fifty. <laughs> that's like fifty yeah, percent. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. So I mean, like the the pitchers kind of that's where the the most conditioning happened because those are the guys that throw the least. Like for a starter, um, you'll have every one to. You'll have one outing every five to seven days, kind of depending on the organization. Um, and so you have a lot of time to, to get a lot of work in between days. And also, like, you kind of need to maintain that stimulus because you're going you're gonna to sit down and you're going to go up and go throw again yeah. six times a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, let's talk about something important, shoulder health. Mm-hmm. For especially for pitchers that are throwing so much, mm-hmm. both in practice and then in season, what how do you bulletproof their shoulders or keep them healthy yeah it's it's kind of a it's a tricky thing right like you it's funny because like as a as a guy with shoulder uh, a past of shoulder injuries um that's kind of something that i've really dug into and it's really just you understand their injury history and like you limit their range of motion like i had a guy my first year that um he had a lot of like i don't want to say like I guess a lot of laxity in the shoulder is what I'm, what I'm going to go with. Um, so with that guy, like I floor pressed a lot. I had him just 
and dumbbell, barbell, whatever it was, like he was just going to floor press because anything else that shoulder was going to dump forward anteriorly. And then that was going to possibly like essentially fuck him for his next start. And that's not what I'm trying to do. So I think you understand like their injury background. You collaborate a lot with the athletic trainer um, and you kind of help put together like good arm care programs for post throwing, pre throwing, that type of stuff. But also from the weight room side of things, like you understand things like even like bicep, tricep work go into it, that uh, pressing types of pressing go into it. You have to understand like scapular movement and scapular rhythm that plays a huge role in it. So um, you kind of scapular rhythm essentially like how well the humerus and scapula can move together and how freely that scap moves. And why is that important? Because that scapula, whenever they're throwing, needs to be able to successfully retract as they go up, as they raise their arm, and then protract and wrap around as they finish and release. Yeah, that's interesting. What, um, what's the injury rate for a pitcher? So at this point, um, Tommy John elbow, uh, UCL repair is like, probably the, the highest that's like kind of an epidemic, but it kind of comes with velocity. Like a fastball is what puts the most stress on that UCL and guys are throwing harder than ever now. So it kind of comes with the territory at this point, but uh, that would be probably the number one. Um, and then rotator cuff is, is up there. That's been like a, such a priority that that's, there's been a huge reduction in that over the last probably five years. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. And I'm sure also obviously like, dosing how much how much pitching they're doing and training mm-hmm. and yeah and it, it takes a huge effort uh if you're going to have a successful season and a successful season of being like pretty injury free um it takes a huge like collaborative effort on all parties available whether if you're talking pitchers me athletic trainer pitching coach um if you're talking position players me hitting defensive and athletic trainer like Mm-hmm. Um, and then like talking to the manager of like, Hey, this guy probably needs an extra day and yeah. not being able to kind of assert like your thoughts and, and the things that you're seeing. Um, and being able to say like, Hey, like visibly this guy's running slower. Like this guy, I'll time him from home to first, I'll do whatever. And like, it's just not there. Mm-hmm. I can watch his swing and tell like, there's a lot, there's a lot that's not there today Mm -hmm. so maybe we sit him tomorrow and give him a day and then get back on it the next day do you guys use any other uh, metrics to track their uh, if they're overtraining or undertrained like hrv for example Uh, it's it's hard to do because um it just takes a lot of buy-in from the athletes themselves so there has been like a huge movement in baseball where a lot of guys have bought into that so a lot of athletes will go on and get their own uh whether it's aura ring or whoop band Mm -hmm. and they monitor it themselves and like that's data that like we as a performance staff can kind of ask them for and like they'll freely tell us like there were so many times uh i walked in they were like dude my recovery was at 94 percent today Mm -hmm. that's sick yeah yeah (laughs) good for you mine would be at 20 if i had that (laughs) That's incredible. That's good. I've always wondered if they've just, if you guys also count pitches and fastball and curveball, whatever it is. Yeah. So um, there's a uh, a software called TrackMan. Mm -hmm. Literally, it's in every stadium in baseball. And uh, TrackMan itself collects all the data on um, like how many pitches each guy's thrown. Uh, like how many of each pitch because it'll it'll pick it up it'll pick up the spin rate and that's how it kind of identifies Um, and then so it'll categorize all that stuff and kind of give you a report at the end of the game 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's there's been. It's funny. Baseball takes a lot from golf on the technology department, and that was I think that was a thing in golf that kind of has become big in baseball over the last couple of years, and that's been a huge like monitoring and information tool. And it, that's kind of like where when I talk about performance, like that's where you get the data from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was gonna ask about uh, Tommy Jones. It's one of my favorite stories. I read about it in uh, Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle Is Away. Yeah. Have you do you know like the story of how the Tommy Jones injury came to be? Yeah. It's so interesting. You want to tell? Or you want me to tell? You've probably been fresher on it than I have, so I'll let you go. Yeah, I'll, I'll summarize it. But basically, so the guy got this seemingly unsurpassable uh, injury mm-hmm. in his elbow, the UCL. And pretty much everybody was telling him that he's going to have to retire, that there's no way that he can keep playing, that he's too old. All of these kind of things that were being imposed on him by medical doctors, strength and conditioning coaches, everyone else. And he he asked the doctor, he said, well, what are the chances that I can play again? And he said, honestly, Tommy, like maybe 1%. And he's like, okay, that's good enough for me. As long as there's a chance, I'm going to do whatever is in my power Mm -hmm. to get back. And I think he even got, didn't he get kicked out from his team and had to do tryouts again? I'm pretty sure at like 43 or something. It's something like that, yeah. Yeah, he got kicked out, had to do tryouts again got back in after getting surgery mm-hmm. and was able to play a few more a few more years. And didn't they take like the inspiration for the surgery from like some like ankle operation? I don't know that part of the story, but that's that's interesting. Because like they take a tendon from typically the opposite arm and then yeah. essentially yeah, yeah, yeah. make it become a ligament. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Imagine if insane. an injury is named after you, that's pretty badass. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that because he played for the doctor or for the Dodgers and I'm pretty sure the, <laughs> the doctor that's sorry that's where I got that um, pretty sure the doctor that did it is in like the Dodgers Hall of Fame wow that's insane that's crazy yeah it's, it's such a cool story I always think about it when when someone tells me I can't do anything or something sorry I'm like I, you know if he could get I back from that, that injury I can also try to do this yeah that's really interesting um do you feel like uh, you're taken seriously as a strength coach? Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Like, I think that, so my first year in um, baseball full-time was 2019, and I was 22. Um, I turned 23 because I've got a summer birthday, and I remember the guys lost their mind whenever they found out how old I was. And um, a lot of them, like, had told me that they couldn't believe that because just the knowledge that I would I would give them on a daily basis the the work ethic that I had, um, and like they just appreciated that. They all they it's funny because like baseball players are kind of meatheads. <laughs> None of them like train that way, but they all love to see me train as a power lifter or whatever. And so like they'll see me, they'll come in and like see me like finishing up my lift with you know maybe I'm I'm rowing and I'm rowing like the one fifteens or something like that, and like they're they're impressed by that because. They're like, damn, I've been doing 60s for the last four weeks. Maybe I should actually do the 70s this time. Just stuff like that. So, like, I think that that goes a long way in um, really kind of showing that, like, you're on top of, like, the the way that the game of baseball is going and not just strength and conditioning within baseball, but, like, the game of baseball as a whole, new technology, new, like, theories that are coming out about pitching, hitting, whatever. Um, staying on top of that, like, gains you a lot of a lot of respect in a clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, wh- why are you so driven, you know? Like, was it, is something that your parents kind of taught you? Is it, like, you self-motivated? Yeah, I think, um, I remember, uh, I was rehabbing my first shoulder surgery, 
um, which was my left one. And uh, I remember talking to my dad, and we went to some, like, football game or whatever, and he played college football. So in a way, he kind of felt like I thought that I had to play college athletics. Um, but he told me, like, he looked me dead in the eye and said, I don't care if you, like, play college sports. I just ask that whatever you do, you, like, do it as good as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's number one. And then number two is also that, like, I'm from a super small town. I grew up in southwest Arkansas in a town of 10,000 people. And so there was no such thing as a strength and conditioning coach. So for me, like, being able to kind of provide a resource um, for maybe kids like that, maybe, like, I can post something on Instagram and that, like, takes some kid and, like, changes his life or something like that. Like, not change his yeah, life, yeah. but, like, change, like, Inspire. change his game. Like, that's that's the thing that he's like, oh, if I start training this way or maybe if I start training, taking training seriously at all, then I can get to that level. And so being able to kind of, like, give back to, like, kids in a small town and also, like, the baseball community as a whole, like, that's done a, a lot for my life. I mm-hmm. started playing baseball when I was three years old, mm-hmm. and I've been in it ever since. So, yeah. like, those are kind of the two things that, like, really drive me. Mm-hmm. That's do you, awesome. Do you still play? No. I just like to play catch whenever I can. Um, I love to be able to, to throw. And actually, this next season, I think I'm going to try to uh, do, like, a velo program. Basically, just see how hard I can throw. Um, but got to compete first. Powerlifting's number one right now. Hell oh, it yeah. Is. <laughs> I love do you have a meet planned? Um, not, not exactly. There's a tentative date in January, February, but we'll Hybrid see. Hybrid showdown? Hey, January? I'm down. Yeah, you should do it. Um, as far as your your training knowledge, who do you kind of look to for information? Yeah, I think uh, like we've talked about Jordan Shallow a lot today. Um, who? <laughs> <laughs> muscle Doc. Yes. <laughs> muscle at the underscore muscle underscore Doc. <laughs> Send him a voice message on his DMs. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's been a huge resource for me. Uh, him and Killian, like I've I got connected to them a year year and a half ago, and like ever since then, like they've just changed the way that I think about things and the lens that I see a lot through. And I think they've done a lot for me. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, the, the guy that I interned with, with the University of Arkansas, he's now the director of performance with the Washington Wizards. And so like, he's a guy that I look up to, like just from such a phenomenal standpoint, he's a absolutely brilliant guy, mm-hmm. but also just a great guy. So if there's ever something that I need, like that's a guy that I go to. If I ever have questions about something or ideas, like I'm probably going to one of those guys that I just named. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about Eric Cressy? I think Cressy does a lot of good. Um, he's with our Crosstown Rivals. He took a job as the uh, director with the New York Yankees. So I guess I can't give too much credit just because of that. <laughs> but no, he's, he's done a lot for the, for the baseball community. So, like, you have to respect everything that guy's done. Yeah. Yeah, his stuff has been there for so long. He's been in the game forever. Right. I feel like. And, like, he's proven that he can do it, too. Like, man's strong as hell. Yeah, yeah. What um would be like the number one mistake that a strength coach makes? I think just thinking like not understanding that the game and the weight room go hand in hand. That a lot of times like guys think that those are two separate entities, whether it's like, oh, like he can handle this volume. It's like if I'm going to go back to a reliever because those are kind of the most like um, unpredictable guys to, to deal with in season, just scheduling and stuff like that. If he's used to throwing like 30 pitches and all of a sudden he's got to be out there for four innings and he's got to throw 75 pitches. 
I probably need to back off a little bit in the weight room the next day. So kind of understanding that um, and understanding that stress is stress. That that's kind of a big mistake. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think a lot of people think through that mm -hmm. and they just think like there's there's work that we got to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100% I share that. Um, so I don't want to mislead our audience into thinking that when we talk about strength, we're only talking about the big three. It's mm -hmm. just squat, bench, deadlift, mm -hmm. obviously, and especially for a sport like baseball, there's a great deal of importance that we have to pay to rotational mm -hmm. movements yeah. and obviously high-speed movements as well. What are kind of staple, some staple exercises that you put your guys through? So I think like a staple is always like some sort of med ball rotational exercise. Like they can get kind of more complex as you deal with like higher level adaptations that are necessary. Uh, but I think that those are kind of like unnecessary uh, exercise to put in. Obviously, like I don't want to go crazy with it in season because they're already getting so many rotations. Like a, a hitter, for example, he's probably taking 90 to 100 swings in a cage um, between like all of the batting practice they go through before a game. And so if a hit, he gets four at-bats in a game, he's probably looking at taking, I don't know, let's say 12 swings on top of that 100 swings that he just took in the cage. So I don't want to go crazy on the on the rotational aspect in season, but I think being able to create that that force and that velocity but I think also like being able to accept it. Um, so I think like anti-rotational stuff is very important. Uh, and like, it's not always like a pal-off press. You've got to get a little bit more of a, a distal challenge. Um, so you, like you might move to like an overhead position. Um, you might start working like a little bit more like sophisticated, like contralateral work. Mm -hmm. um, but like you've got to be able to do the two. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that. Oh, yeah. you're smart. I'm impressed. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. No, really smart. This has been great. Simon, do you have any other I questions? Love, I feel like I, we, I we, haven't We chatted, that. but we chatted before. It was a really good conversation. That's a mistake. You never uh, chat yeah. with your guests before <laughs> the podcast because it takes it away all the, the romanticism of asking questions in the podcast. I had, I had a good one. I'm trying to... Uh, what mm -hmm. advice would you give to people wanting to pursue a similar career? Um, specifically in baseball, I would say just to... So there's a there's another podcast called the uh, the Professional Baseball Strength and Conditioning Coaches Society podcast, longest name possible. Um, <laughs> but that's actually I listened to like every episode whenever I was trying to find my foot in the door, and I would literally just email every guy that was on there. I would find their email <laughs> and just that. say like, "What do I need to know? What do I need to do?" And eventually, like I got connected with a guy with the Kansas City Royals um, through Blaine Kinsley, who's the baseball strength coach at Arkansas, and like I interned with him. So I think the fact that like you got to be able to be willing to work for free for a little bit, mm -hmm. like you got to understand like that's part of it, especially if you want to work mm -hmm. in pro sports or like a high level college. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say like be willing to kind of go through some shit to put yourself out there, yeah. uh, apply for everything that you see and like just don't be scared to ask questions like there's no dumb questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, I think the chase is so important. Mm -hmm. Just like asking ask for resources, mm -hmm. ask for help, offer yourself. People, sometimes they think it's petty to like continue asking for stuff. I'm like, listen, the worst thing that can happen is that you're told no. Mm -hmm. That's the worst thing that can happen. What yeah. do you care? You know, yeah. you don't lose anything by trying to connect with someone, by sending a nice email, yeah. by sending a thank you letter, whatever, just being in the forefront of mm -hmm. as many people as you can. Yeah, just super important. get your name out there, get your face out there, like kind of exactly. put yourself in front of people. Exactly. Make them tell you no, like you said. Exactly. Don't be afraid to fail. And people are afraid of judgment as well. Mm -hmm. What, um, what do you think is your ultimate goal? 
you have one honestly you just to create to just to create as big of an impact in like the baseball community and like the the youth like middle school high school sports as a whole like um and even like small colleges like i went to a, a school uh with a small budget and didn't have a strength and conditioning coach like being able to kind of have a ripple effect in that realm would be awesome to me mm-hmm. whether i know it or not like that's kind of a something that i just want to happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seems like you're on the right path. <laughs> now you create a lot of initiative. I love that, how you just chased and chased and chased and whatever it was, whether it's free or through experience. And yeah, that's awesome yeah. to hear. Just the thing where like, I'm just never sat- satisfied with where I'm at or what I've done. Yeah. And like, there's always work to be done. There's always more things to learn. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, we just met, but I'm super impressed by your knowledge and I really admire your work ethic and your hustle and everything you've done so far. So I hope we can stay connected. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Of course. Really appreciate you being on. Thank you. Yeah, thank where you. can people find you? Um, Instagram and Twitter. They're both the same. It's at Ryan or 24. That's R Y A N O R R two four. Okay, perfect. And where can people sign up for your programs? Uh, just shoot me a DM on Instagram. That's the best way to get a hold of me. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Crushed it. That was good. Yeah, it was really good.